Well, hey, everybody. My name is uh, Raul Cox. This is my wife, Susan. Hey, guys. Welcome. I want to share with you a little bit about our story and kind of what brought us to re-engage. Uh, I met Susan in college through an organization called Camps Crusade for Christ. And uh, we were in a meeting place. It was a large home on campus. It was used for events. And uh, the first memory I have of her, she wore a uh, white dress and uh, white stockings. And she came in. It was into, the 80s, people. It was the 80s. <laughs> she had her fair faucet hairdo. And um, she sat down at the piano for our group. There's probably about 200 college students there. And she sang this beautiful song and played the piano. And I said, I've got to get to know that girl. And uh, so later, probably a year of uh, dating and engagement, uh, we married. And then I'm thinking, okay, I always wanted music in a home. And I just thought a piano would be great. And then she revealed to me that that was the only song she knew how to play and sing. <laughs> She had practiced and practiced just to do that that night, but it still worked out real well. So we have uh, we have two kiddos. So we've got a family picture somewhere. Yes, that's uh, Kristen and the blonde, and Brittany the brunette, and uh, they both are entrenched in in love and following Jesus and uh, mentoring young ladies, and uh, we're, we're just very proud of both of them. Uh, what brought us to re-engage after <clears throat> just a, a, a great part of a first marriage um, was that uh, just a separation, uh, just a, a, a pulling of apart, and just really just going to church. We, we had that instilled into us uh, as, as children, but during the week we just set our Bibles on our nightstands and uh, really lived the way we wanted to. Nothing really bad, but we just kind of did our own thing. Yeah, and so I think when, at the beginning you said the first marriage, and so the first part of our marriage, we were we were just doing life the way we had seen our parents model it and had no clue of what it really looked like to have a biblical marriage. We didn't know how to resolve conflict. We had no clue what we were getting into. And so I remember the first night that we walked in this room, and I thought, man, here we are in a church we're walking down an aisle, and at that particular moment, I, di- I didn't want to be married anymore. We were headed for divorce. We had divided all of our assets. The first night that we showed up here, we actually came in two cars. And I thought, man, if this thing doesn't work out, I noticed that there were exit doors behind me and exit doors to the back. And I thought, I'll just get up and go to the bathroom and not come back. And that was really what I was thinking on night one. But as I sat in this room and I started kind of reflecting back to the day that we got married, this is what I remembered. I remembered I couldn't wait to get married. I could not wait to marry this man. I thought, he's funny. He's good-looking. In my mind, I thought, we're going to have children. We're going to have the white picket fence. We're going to have the Labrador Retriever because every American family has a lab and, and an SUV in the driveway. And my expectations of marriage the day that we got married, that's Oops, we lost each other. And so I don't know what, what you were thinking on the wedding day. I wasn't thinking that far ahead. I was probably just thinking that day, that night, maybe. 
But I look, I look back on uh, just what I brought into the marriage and what was an influence in my life and uh, who was the person that was the biggest influence. And it wasn't Christ really at the time, although there we had moments to where we were pursuing him. But I think my father uh, was probably the biggest influence, but he wasn't a believer. And he didn't go to church except for funerals and weddings. Um, and so there was just a kind of a... Uh, just a wrong idea that was instilled in me about what it meant to be a man and certainly a godly man. So on our wedding day, you know, what I brought to the marriage was a mom and dad who had had not modeled marriage well in the home. I didn't get to see Jesus be the center of the home. I also brought into the marriage childhood sex abuse. One out of every three women, that's our story. And to the men in the room, one out of every four to five men, that's their story. And so my view of intimacy was really skewed. Had no idea what that was going to look like in the marriage. And it would later play out in a way that we'll talk about in a little bit. And so we got married. And on the honeymoon, it it took us less than 48 hours to realize, man, my words that night were, what in the crackers have I done? I mean, I'm looking at him thinking that, man, this was going to be happily ever after, and he's looking at me with the same thing. And we began to see just the brokenness in one another right after the I do's had been said. And so what we knew to do was what our parents had modeled. And so we just kind of began doing life. We had children right away. We bought a home. I made him build the white picket fence. And we we bought the SUV and we bought the Labrador that peed on everything in the house. And I mean, we were just living life large. But Christ was not the center focus. He was not where we connected individually and he was not part of our marriage, you know, as a unit. And so... I mean, we begin to look outward. We really did. We just began the busyness of raising our children and working. And over years of this, I mean, the hearts just began to drift. And so my part of the story goes like this. I was in a gym one day, and it's a gym that I had gone to every afternoon. And this particular afternoon, I met someone And I engaged in conversation with this person, which led to texting and emailing and anything that I could do over the internet to make contact with this gentleman I did until I made the decision to have an affair. And I literally thought just in pride and arrogance and control that I could live a double life. I thought my husband will never have a clue as to what I'm doing. And I just began to hide and tell lie after lie after lie. Pornography addiction is another part of my story. It's not just something that a guy struggles with. Just as many women do, we just don't talk about it. And so that was another part of of the secret that I was hiding. So fast forward over just, you know, days, weeks, months, you know, even into a year, two years of this, of just living in secrecy. One particular evening, both of our daughters, whom you met earlier, uh, came to me and just said, you know, we have discovered some things on your computer. And, Mom, is this true? Mom, have you done the things that we see in a reading on the computer? Have you had an affair? And I remember looking at our daughters, and I thought immediately, well, what I can do is I can just lie. 
I can make up stories that that's, no, your mom didn't do that. And, and I knew, I knew that I had to come clean and tell them. But I also said to them, I said, I need to be the one to tell your dad. And I literally, guys, I stayed up all night that night trying to cut deals with the Lord, telling him, hey, I will tell this part, but not this. I can't tell him everything because of how he might react. And I knew the next morning that I I had to to sit with Raul and begin to thread the story out. And so as you can imagine, as I began to tell him about my double life, the hurt, the pain that rushed in, I mean, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, I had broken covenant with my husband. I had hurt and lied to both of our daughters. And as I began to tell him the story, just the goodness, the profanity that broke out in our home, the the argument, the fighting that took place, there were things thrown across the room, things broken, things burned in the fireplace. I mean, just an absolute fight out of control to the point to where I called 911. Police officers came rushing to our home. And and I love to tell couples, if you're going to fight, don't call the police while you're fighting naked. It it doesn't go well for you. And we'll tell you at the end of our story what God did with that because it still spins our head to this day. And I just have to interject. There was only one person naked, and that was her. And You're welcome for that. She never tells the whole thing. You're so bad. You're yeah. so bad. I mean, what, what, what do you do with that? I mean, our girls were looking at us like my parents are crazy. Family and friends told us to divorce. People told us that, that nobody heals from this. Marriages don't survive this, Susan. I heard that over and over and over. And so as we were beginning to divide assets and begin the process of divorce, there was one couple who knew the Lord who faithfully walked with the Lord, who was in his word day in and day out, they sat down with Raul and I, and they said, hey, you've done a really good job of carrying that Bible every Sunday that you walk in the church, but have you ever opened it? Do you have any idea that there is a plan of restoration and redemption, and it's found in the very words of this book that you never read? And they said, would you be willing to come to Watermark Church and to just come one time to this thing called Reengage and hear the stories of life change that are coming out of this ministry? And so we came that night. We sat in the seats where you guys are sitting now, and, and I was skeptical. I thought there's no way that people can heal from this. But what happened is Wednesday after Wednesday, I began to hear story after story after story of life change that had taken place. Marriages that were once headed for a divorce were not only reconciled, but moving on a path of healing. So we jumped in. We got into the, the open, went through the open group process committed to getting to a closed group, and we began to work through the 16 lessons and just peeling back the layers. And I'll tell you, that was the first time in my life that I really fully came to understand who Jesus is. That there is a man who loved me so much that even yet while I was still a sinner, as Romans 5.8 tells us, that he died on the cross for me. And I began to understand that love And I began to understand what it means to be broken because of sin and just a beautiful gift of grace from our Heavenly Father and began to apply the words of the Bible 
in the way that I live my life and the choices that I made. And so we came through the entire re-engage process. I mean, God had done a number in my heart. God had done a number in the marriage. And we were at the best place that we had ever been. But I did not know that chapter two in the story was about to unfold. Yeah, so this is where I like to say it's a double feature movie, but we're not serving popcorn tonight. There's a, another part of this story, and uh, that night was, you know, really the brunt of reengage, and you know, learned a lot about, you know, that you'll you'll hear around here. To if, if you're new, is to you know we draw a circle around ourselves and work on everybody inside that circle, and so in doing that through reengage, uh, just learning about uh, what, where I came up short in the marriage. Uh, but the infidelity part, which everybody was zeroing in on, was really allowing Susan to kind of take the brunt of a lot of the, what, what we were going through and re-engage. So I had kept this secret while all the time going through uh, the, the journey of re-engage and never spoke it to, to anybody until uh, I was just convicted. The very first night we came back here to serve, uh, we were telling our story. And so Susan finished, kind of stopped right there. And then I would just point it up to the screen and just explain to the uh, the newcomers the one, two, threes of re-engage. And uh, was really convicted that night. And I remember just thinking to myself, what a hypocrite you are talking to these couples. You've gone through re-engage and you really didn't lay everything out uh, the way God would want you to. And I didn't really know what that would look like to con- confess this secret. So I called one of the guys who was in our re-engage group, and we met for coffee. Went over some Bible verses. He was kind of running me through, you know, Bible verses of, of holding sin and not confessing. And talked talked about the uh, David in Hebrews, just about the weight of sin. And First John about, you know, we all sin. And... Uh, but probably the biggest verse or the one that had the impact on me that that morning and for coffee was James 5.16. And he had me read that to him. And uh, it just says to be in prayer for one another, confess your sins to one another. And the last part saying so that you'll be healed. And he said, Raul, you need healing. And Satan wants you to keep that a secret. He, that way he kind of keeps that uh uh, his hand around your throat. He controls that in darkness and you need to bring it to light. You need to confess it to Susan. And he said, God's not asking you to do it. He's commanded you to do it. So you've got to decide, you know, what kind of man you want to be. And uh, I just remember telling him, I said, I don't think it's going to go well. And he just flat out said, he goes, Raul, she may divorce you. You can't control that, but you can control uh, what you do in honoring God. And so it took me a couple more nights and I Sat down late at night, and I told her, uh, set her down on the couch, and confessed everything. And and that was, I told her that, that that the infidelity didn't start with her. It actually started with me eight years prior to that, uh, me hearing anything about her being unfaithful. And uh, that's where the infidelity began in our marriage, and it was with me. And uh, probably about 15 minutes later after that conversation, I'm on I-30 in a parking lot, uh, bawling my eyes out, and it's just not going well. And I'm thinking, God, okay, I'm trusting you. I'm kind of following my my brother's advice and what you're saying, and here I am, and this is going to happen. Uh, I'm out of the house with a bag. And probably about 1.30 in the morning, I get a call uh, while I'm in the parking lot from another guy that was in our re-engage group. And 
uh, he said, Raw, you need to come home. And so I drove home, opened up our front door, and the guys in our re-engage group were all there, met me at the foyer. As I opened the door, there they were standing. Um, and in the back of our living room, uh, the ladies were back there uh, praying with Susan. I didn't know it was the wives of these guys because they all were in pajama bottoms and no makeup and just unrecognizable. Didn't see them normally that way. But it was a sweet picture, I will tell you, to see them praying. And then the guys just saying, hey, Raw, it's going to be okay. We're going to walk with you through this. And so I sat down that night and uh, answered all their questions, something that I should have done in reengage so that I could get this out and get it worked on and uh, have them uh, speak wisdom and truth into me through God's word. But I didn't do that, which was a big mistake. But we started that night doing what I should have done when I first started going through reengage. And uh, from that point on, it probably, I don't know, months later, we were still living in the same house but separate bedrooms. And she finally uh, came to me one day and just sat on the next to the bed, next to the bed with me and just said, uh, I forgive you all. And uh, she said, I just want to move forward. Uh, I want us to share God's story of redemption, and I totally agreed with her, and so that's what we've been doing ever since. So when I think about that whole forgiveness process, you know, so many times people will say, gosh, adultery, that's just the unforgivable. No, it's not. There's nothing that the Lord cannot transform. There's nothing that God cannot redeem and restore. And the forgiveness that I so understood, God's forgiveness of me and all the decisions and choices that I had made. And Colossians 3.13 just tells us that we are to forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven us. And so the same forgiveness that my husband had given me, I was now in turn and in position ready to give that same forgiveness to him. And forgiveness is it's beautiful, It is a beautiful thing. Marriage is a beautiful thing. And even when we hurt one another, even when we let each other down, there's nothing that the Lord can't restore. And so as we began to walk through the path of that healing again, when I think about what brought about the the ultimate healing and transformation in our marriage, it was the four things. It was number one, Christ Roll and I had to individually understand that relationship with Jesus first. And that's where it had to start. Because when we understand that personal relationship, I mean, we, we do have what it takes to love and care for the other person. The second thing that we had to understand was we can't change each other. I couldn't hurry up the healing on his side. He couldn't hurry up the healing on my side. We had to literally, as Roll said, draw the circle around ourselves and be willing to work on that one inside the circle. And the third thing that we had to do to move toward healing is we had to close the door of escape. So some of the doors in our marriage were pornography, adultery. Doors can be your job, food, alcohol, drugs, money, gambling, gaming. I mean, think about all the things that you may run to when marriage gets hard. Roll and I had to understand just the truth of John 10.10. I mean, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus Christ comes to give us eternal life. And adultery was just running toward a door. 
of trying to find something else to soothe and fill the heart that only Jesus can. And then finally, number four was just that gift of community, of being with other men and women that we were going to be meeting with every single week through the reengage process. And we've watched the Lord literally not just change our marriage, but the Lord changed our daughters. And the Lord changed our nieces and our nephews and our in-laws and our next-door neighbors. And we've seen that just the, the power of the Lord working in a marriage can impact all of those within your circle of influence and beyond. And so, I mean, if we had more time, we would tell you the extended story of what God is doing and what he continues to do in our marriage. And so we share that part with you so that you take away the thought of your marriage matters. It really is. And it, and it matters the way that you love and cherish and care for one another day in and day out. Because think about it. There's no other relationship this side of heaven that puts on the picture of the illustration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no other relationship where two broken people come together and they will, they will let one another down from time to time. But where you have the opportunity to show grace and forgiveness and kindness and mercy all the days of your life. And so we pray as you come tonight and you hear our story that what your takeaway is, is man, God, God is who he says he is. His word is what changes us if we're willing to avail ourselves to the process. And so I love to always finish our story with the naked 911. And so one night I was speeding on my way home. Guess who pulled me over? The exact same officers that came to our house on that wicked night. And the first one walks up to the window. He leans in. He says, hey, hey. And I said, hey, officer, fill in the blank. I said, do you remember me? And he said, absolutely. How could I forget? And I said, hey, I want you to know that my husband and I did not get a divorce. I want you to know that I love him. I want you to know that we have forgiven one another and that we no longer call you guys to come out to our house. I want you to know that the Lord has redeemed and restored, that he's, man, he has brought together what was once broken, and it's beautiful. And I went on to say, you know what, officer? I've got a love letter that my husband wrote to me. I happen to have it in the car. Would you like to read it? He said, no, I don't want to read that love letter. I said, yeah, you do. It's exhibit A. I need you to know that what God has done in our marriage is real. And so I hand him the letter, and he reads it. And he folds it up with a big old grin on his face, and he hands it back to me. And he just says, man, Susan, I'm just so glad to hear the good news. Would you be careful on your drive home? So two things happened as I drove away that night. I laughed, and I cried. I cried because I thought of just the truth of Romans 8:28 that the Lord works for the good of those who love him. You see, God took the most embarrassing, horrific moment ever of our life, and he redeemed it for his glory and for our good. And then I laughed, because I thought, cha-ching, no ticket, as I drove home. And so, man, we are just so thrilled that you have given us your Wednesday night. And so we do pray that those of you that are in closed groups, that you will dive in deep 
As Ross said earlier, if there's anything that's unconfessed, man, let tonight be the night that you share it. And then for those of you that are in open group, that you will continue to stay the course of coming each week because we are getting ready to start a lot of new groups in the very near future. And then for those of you that are here for the very first time, you know, we'll have a chance to get to meet you on a more intimate level in a few minutes when we do newcomers. But we are so glad that you guys are here.